The following is a conversation with the crypto recruiter, Emily Landon. This is the Atria podcast, where we bring light and ventilation to the crypto Web3 space. I'm Joe McKeating. All views expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them, and nothing said on this show is intended to be taken as financial advice. Please like and review the Atria podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as it helps us reach a broader audience and rank higher. Emily, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So you've been with the Crypto Recruiters, which, as the name suggests, you focus on bringing the best talent to the crypto industry for almost three years. Now, in crypto world, that's akin to 100 years. So what have you seen change in that time? Um, Wow, that's a great question. So a lot has changed. I would say the past two years, when we first started, things were hustling and bustling. Like we could we could barely keep up. We did. I mean, we made over 200 placements over the last two and a half years. Um, But what's changed within the last three to six months is companies have really slowed down on hiring. They're being extremely strategic and picking people that are really the best fit. so that's what's changed. No, Oh, and salaries have gone down. Salaries have kind of normalized. So I think when crypto was first, you know, was first starting up, you know, very seriously, um, right before COVID, um, salaries were incredibly high because these crypto companies were looking for other people that came from crypto companies and there was a premium on that, right? So candidates could really command whatever salary they wanted. And now they're starting to you know, come back to earth and and be a little bit more consistent with salaries and like financial services. And before the crypto recruiters, you also recruited for Fortune 500 companies. So just to get back to that point that you just made, obviously it's not unique to crypto, but do you think that it's magnified in crypto, the, the issues that you're bringing up there, or how does it compare like to the Googles and Amazons and, and other tech companies in the space. Yeah. I mean, Amazon is, Amazon will pay you well and work you like a dog. Um, so it's it's hard when someone comes from Amazon, They it's hard to recruit someone out of Amazon because it's like they make ungodly money, right? So I think previously salaries were very in line with Amazon employees. Um, but I think now they're more in line with like American Express, Discover Card. And the reason that I'm bringing these up is all of my Fortune 500 accounts were financial services accounts. So that's kind of where I'm I'm gauging. And what do you see these crypto companies looking for in terms of talent the most right now? Have we got over, have we got past the point where they're just looking for tech talent? Where where are the biggest openings right now? Absolutely. We are, we are past just tech talent. I mean, a crypto company, a web three company is just like any other company. They need marketing, they need accounting, they need products, they need executive leadership. Um, so it's definitely more than just devs at this point. I mean, don't get me wrong. Devs are still the hottest hire. Everybody's looking for a dev in order to grow. Um, but there are more and more opportunities for candidates that are not tech focused. Like for example, AML analyst, a crypto anti-money laundering analyst. I think that's really cool. You know, executive assistants, um, community management, right? Communities, community managers are, it's literally was created by the Web3 space. This role did not exist before. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. And from back to the developer point for a moment, when you are placing developers in the crypto space, sometimes... With Ethereum, for instance, one of the programming languages you can use is Solidity. Now, Mm -hmm. 
I'm assuming that when you're talking to candidates, most people outside of crypto, I'm thinking probably haven't learned Solidity before. Uh, are these crypto companies, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but are these crypto companies looking for hires who already have the complete skill set or for hires who could quickly learn? Yeah. So their first choice is someone that already has the skill set. Their second choice is going to be someone with transferable skills from the Web2 space. So if you have shown extensive career progression in your Web2 career, right, you went from junior engineer, lead engineer, staff engineer, right, that shows that you're able to learn new things and master new things. So companies are willing to hire developers that have grown within their current positions or grown throughout their career because they've proven that they have the capability to learn new language like Solidity. So it depends on where the company is stage-wise, but if the company has time to mentor or the executive leadership in place to mentor, transferable skills all day. Come on over. Is that the the advice that you would give to a developer wanting to get into the crypto space? Would it be Solidity is the, the best programming language? Rust, maybe? What are Solidity, the, what are the Rust. Um, Solidity and Rust are probably the top requirements right now. And when you're looking at candidates, have you seen a lot who go out and learn Solidity on their own before going through this process? Or how does that work? You know, we're talking about people who have this existing skill set before or don't. You just went over kind of distinguishing two different scenarios there of someone who's really demonstrated career progression versus not. I, I've heard from people and you may have, uh, you know, a better view on this, that if you're a really good developer, say with JavaScript, that you could learn Solidity in two weeks and it's not going to be an easy two weeks, but you could, you could up your skill set in two weeks. Do you think that's about accurate? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all about passion, right? Passion pushes us forward. So if someone has a passion for this technology, they're going to push as hard as possible to become an expert. Um, so, you know, advice that I would give to developers that want to get into the space, I guess the first thing would be make sure you have a really good understanding of it and that you're really passionate about it. On top of that, Start your own projects, volunteer for projects, get as much experience as you can. Um, you know, taking a step back in salary or even taking a, a role that has no salary, that's not going to be your forever home, but it's going to open doors for you. Interesting. And, yeah, I'm trying to think what what other roles might be kind of interesting to hit on here. We obviously talked about marketing. You go to a lot of the conferences. I've run into you know, the small army of the crypto recruiters at, <laughs> at some of these conferences, always uh, very friendly, very willing to talk, willing to help. So if you've heard any horror stories, it's not about the, the crypto recruiters when, when people have these horror stories about uh, recruiters. But uh, we see at those conferences, I mean, these marketing budgets for some of these companies, maybe they're going to tighten the belt a little bit now as we're in this, this crypto winter, uh, so to speak. But uh, that seems to be a big opportunity, right? Business yeah. development and marketing. Absolutely. I mean, conferences are, are huge. Um, it was actually very flattering. So I love that you've seen our, our little army of people walking around. I mean, that was our strategy was, um, and this is actually interesting. So my strategy was buy merch that is bright enough that people are going to notice it, but not bright enough that it's obnoxious, right? So we went to um, Consensus recently and... It was it was wild. I was actually pulled aside by name multiple times. So I'm not going to say I made it, but like 
felt like I made it a little bit there. Um, so I think conferences are really critical when it comes to networking. I mean, you can have a great conversation on the phone, but like to have that conversation face to face, it changes the game. Um, so one of the things that I thought was interesting is there were a lot of dev shops walking around, right? Meeting potential clients, getting their name out there. Um, so yeah, I think conferences are, are critical. Let's talk about those people, that audience who wouldn't be at the conferences right now and maybe very good in the roles in web two, let's call it, mm -hmm. or maybe they're not even in a web company. Maybe they're not working in tech, but they're crypto curious. Let's say, are you trying to actively reach out to people like that and pull them in? Or are you really kind of more so dealing with inbound requests right now? The passion has to be there in order to work with a recruit. Yeah, the passion definitely has to be there. So one of my favorite questions to ask candidates is, is crypto 100% the next step or is it more of an option, right? And it just gets back to that passion. I mean, think about it. You, you know this. When you start to get into crypto, even now, you got to spend like an hour a day doing research on the space. You know what I mean? Like minimally. Um, so I think if it's, you know, I prefer not to talk someone into web three because there's so much like, let's call it extracurricular activities that you really have to do in order to be an expert in the space. And, and to, you know, I think there's also something about loving what you do, right? There's a ton of people that would die to be in web three. I mean, everybody wants to be in crypto, everybody and their mother. Um, so I think working with those candidates, you know, our clients are really looking for those types of profiles rather than trying to get someone to come on over. So if they're interested, great. If they're not, that's okay. We part as friends and stay in touch. Yeah. And what, what about those people who are on the fence where they, they could have the passion and I understand what you're saying. I agree with you that you, that if you get into this, you are really going to have to be into it. I mean, I, I've joked with friends before that if you get to bed at a decent time, you're going to wake up the next morning and feel like you missed everything and you have to relearn from, yeah. from square one almost. But my sense is that there's a decent amount of people who are on the fence, not necessarily because they lack the passion or or, or that they couldn't have this passion, but because they feel intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, my, my thought on that is how risk adverse are they? What's their risk for on that? Um, because if, they, if they're uncomfortable with it, they're probably not going to stay at the company. They're going to jump for something that's maybe a little bit more stable or secure. So I think it gets down to like, is this person willing to take risks? I think jumping into crypto can be a risk, right? Um, but I think if you do it strategically and you do your own research, minimal risk. Especially at some of these larger crypto companies. I won't mm -hmm. name any by name, and this isn't a criticism of them. It's just, just a reality. As some of these bigger crypto companies become so large, how much of a difference do you think there really is between working at a company like one of the ones I'm thinking of, and hopefully you're, we're on the same, same wave here about like yeah. what kind of what type of companies we're talking about. I mean, how much different do you think it really is in terms of that and working at a bank or a financial institution, investment bank, a big tech company? I, it seems to be a lot of the same people just dressed maybe a little more casually to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the biggest difference is going to be the internal culture right? The way people treat each other. So are there a ton of financial services people in crypto at these large companies? Absolutely. But I think there's a, 
how do I describe this? Like there's this genuine feel that comes from the industry, like this collaborativeness, this, this, you know, kumbaya sometimes. Um, and I think that specific web three culture is not something that's found in, you know, web two companies or regular financial services companies. So just as an example, when I was recruiting for financial services, I would call people, cold call people, um, candidates, and they would just curse at me and be really upset that I was bothering them in the middle of their day. Um, I've never had that happen in Web3, not not even once, and it's been three years. So I just think there's a, a huge culture shift, and I think it's a, it's a nicer place to be, honestly. Um, you know, I think culture is one of the biggest reasons for turnover. So really vetting the company that you're interviewing at, asking, you know, what is one thing you wish you would have known about this company before you joined? How do you guys define and maintain the culture, right? Because everything's remote. How do you build a remote culture, right? Um, things like this are really going to help you understand, like, is this the culture for me? And when you talk about those, those cultural differences, because um, I thought that was an excellent answer about what the what the, how, how to differentiate those two that I asked about. It seems to me that Web3 right now has a very global reach. And so we've talked about uh, work from home or maybe a better term remote work for a long time. Obviously, COVID really accelerated that. But even beyond accelerating the ability to work remotely, it seems to me that Web3 companies maybe are more willing to hire uh, workers who aren't in the same country that they're in. Also, just a lot of different con countries have exciting projects going on in the space. Do you have any thoughts, thoughts, thoughts there? Kind of not a direct question, just uh, maybe you could continue on that thought process. Yeah, so there's there's global talent around the world, and it really gives these people opportunities, right? And I'm very passionate about giving people opportunities. So I think being able to hire out of, you know, South Africa, Pakistan, Ireland, you know, it's just, it's awesome. And what's really great is I get to talk to all of these people. Um, you know, we work globally, so it's really interesting to learn the cultural differences between uh, countries as well. Um, so it's just all very exciting. So anyway, there are amazing Web3 people, all walks of life. Yep. And speaking of where some of this uh, Web3 activity is going on, I mean, if you go to a conference, you will see uh, companies from Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Africa, South America, like like literally everywhere around the world. And, and uh, there's always people flying in for these different conferences. And uh, when I say that, that's because I've been to conferences at this point exclusively in the United States. So a lot of the biggest crypto conferences aren't even in the United States. You mm -hmm. know, you had Token 2049 that went on recently in, uh, in Singapore. So that's really interesting. Your, your thoughts on the uh, kind of global type of workforce. And I think Web3 is enabling that beyond just the remote work transition that we're seeing everywhere. Um, what do you think, have, what have you noticed? And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what, I, what I've uh, seen here, but I want to get your thoughts first on any generational differences in terms of enthusiasm to get into Web3. I haven't noticed any difference on my end because I talk to so many people and they're all eager to get into Web3. So I may be a little bit biased, but I mean, I'm talking to all, all levels of tenure. I mean, I know, I know an 18 year old 
that has made millions of dollars with a very successful business, right? And um, in Web3, right? I know very tenured candidates that have created successful businesses in Web3. And I'm talking to just candidates every day and they just really want to get into the space. So I'm noticing passion all around, all around. I um, My parents aren't interested in it, which I think is kind of interesting. So there definitely is, you know, there's people that just aren't interested in it, but I don't know that it translates um, to tenure. Interesting. Well, one of the things that that I've noticed, and anecdotally, which of course is the worst uh, kind of evidence, but I've noticed that at the university level, the enthusiasm for this right now, which isn't necessarily a generational difference, but uh, often is that at the university level right now, the enthusiasm levels for crypto and Web3 are at all-time highs. And I keep Mm -hmm. hearing about different stories where uh, the, you know, class A used to be the most popular class in this department. Now it's blockchains. Yeah. Well, I think they're taking that interest and bringing it to their parents. That's what mm-hmm. I think is happening. Um, and I just think, I mean, it's so popular right now. How could you not learn about it? So, but that gets back to there's, there's, you know, whatever floats someone's boat. Sometimes that's going to be crypto. Sometimes that's not. Um, but just on my end, I mean, but again, I'm talking to candidates that that want to be in the space. So, and let's get back to talking about uh, the job placement. What are what is what is the process like for a job candidate? A lot of people listening to this episode, which will be titled something like "How to Get a Job in Web 3, will be interested in uh, in in answering exactly that question. So maybe we'll start there. How how do you go about getting a job in Web three right now? Yeah. So you need to, so here's the thing, recruiting, finding a job, it's all about appearance. Everybody has their career story, but when you're applying to a job, you don't get to tell that story. A piece of paper does it for you. So I think the first thing to do is, is make your resume look crypto friendly, right? So using crypto keywords, crypto, blockchain, web three, NFTs, metaverse, right? Um, getting that in there. So the, the problem is, is that people usually spend 30 seconds on a resume. They're just briefly skimming it. So you really need to make it very clear that you're interested in crypto or that you have crypto experience. LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool. I mean, Web3 LinkedIn is huge. So, but when you're connecting with people, I mean, crypto is a, it's an inclusive environment, but it's also exclusive. So you need your LinkedIn profile to look like you're in link, you're in crypto as well in order for people to connect with you. So when I'm looking at my phone, when someone connects with me, right, by the way, I've got like 75 connection requests to get back to. So nobody hate me. But when you're looking at connection requests on your iPhone or on your Android, all you see is their name and their tagline. So if you're like quickly going through these, which I look at every profile, but if you're quickly going through these, you're going to accept the ones that, you know, relate to crypto and decline the ones that might not. Um, I always recommend sending a connection request without a note, no notes. The reason why is when you put a note in there, you're giving them their, your ask. You're telling them exactly what you want from them. When if you, and then they're deciding, do they want to give that to you, right? Hey, I'd love to pick your brain. You know, now they're deciding if they want to give you that time. Um, So not sending a note leaves a little mystery. And I really like that. Um, I've had the most success not sending notes. 
And I think networking is incredibly important. So there was a study in the New York Times about weak versus strong connections. So those that had more weak connections, like acquaintances, just random people on LinkedIn, had a better chance of getting a job than those that had a smaller, tighter, you know, closer network. So I think networking is, is incredibly important widening your network and talking to as many people as you can, right? Set aside an hour and a half a day just to meet people, right? Um, that, I mean, that's a lofty goal, but like mm -hmm. if you can set aside an hour and a half, I mean, people are happy to speak after work. Um, but by talking to as many people as you can, you're also putting a little bug in their mind, right? Oh, Joe, yeah, Joe does this and he'd be a really good fit for this, right? So that way when they're hiring, they'll think about you and they'll call you. I always um, suggest that after you've had a really great conversation, maybe with a leader in the space that you really clicked with, follow up via LinkedIn with a copy of your resume, right? Hey, really enjoyed our conversation. Just wanted to float you a copy of my resume in case you're ever hiring. I'd really enjoy being on your team and working with you. Yeah, it seems like that's the best time to uh, to float a resume when you're not when you're not desperate to yeah. for someone to get it right. Um, I want to go back to something you said just to clarify that I understood it correctly. The the piece in the New York Times was saying that it's better to have a larger network that's not as tight knit than mm -hmm. it is to have a smaller network that's very close. And that's yeah. just on LinkedIn, or that's a networking principle in general. I mean, that's a networking principle in general, but this was just a study done by LinkedIn. Okay, got it. And I, I like how you said you look at people's taglines right away. Mine is onboarding the next billion Web3 users, which is what we're trying to do at Atria, which is a education platform, professional training platform for businesses trying to get up to speed. So give us a call if you're, if you're interested in that. What are, oh, one other thing, when you said picking someone's brain, there are certain words and phrases that get used and abused and we should put them on the shelf for a long time. Would you agree that you don't want to ask someone to pick their brain? I don't like when people ask me to pick my brain. I don't like having my brain picked. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily mind people that want to pick my brain, but they have to be conscious that like, 75 other people are asking me the same question. So what I would suggest is, is differentiate yourself, make yourself stand out. Why should they let you pick their brain? Why should they give you 15 minutes of their time? So you really have to tell them the value that you'd bring to them. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, we got to find some different verbiage than, than picking your brain. Um, but, you know, I hate to say it, but like, Flattery will get you everywhere, right? So commenting, hey, I saw your experience at Consensus. I was really impressed that you've worked there for four years and grew from, you know, this position to this position. I was wondering if I could have 15 minutes of your time to learn how you have become so successful, right? Yeah. I'd love for my resume to look like yours one day. It's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> yep. No, no one is completely immune to flattery. You want to find that that sweet spot. Don't overdo it either because it no. can be, Oh my gosh. You gotta be, almost, be genuine about it. Yeah. It can be almost too much. If you, if you come mm -hmm. in, if you come in too hot, it can be almost too much. Um, let's stick on LinkedIn for a minute, just because it's so important, such an important place for people um, getting jobs. Obviously the first thing people should do if they want to get into uh, the crypto space is contact you contact the crypto <laughs> recruiters. But if they're speaking with people on LinkedIn, uh, I thought that was an interesting kind of counterintuitive piece of advice you gave earlier that 
if you send a LinkedIn request, hold off on adding a personalized note at first. So maybe what, what else about the message should people take into consideration once you do message someone? Is it like enough contact, short and sweet, very short? What do you try to get to a phone call? What's the goal there? So the message should definitely be short and sweet, right? Again, you have to remember 75 other people are messaging at the same time. I mean, I manage daily over 150 messages on LinkedIn back and forth. Um, it's wild. Uh, so you really have to keep that in mind, right? By differentiating yourself. You know, something that I think is cool is on LinkedIn, this is like my secret sauce. Um, there is a way to send a voice note off your phone. So often I'll introduce myself via voice note. Um, and I think that, you know, people are very impressed. A lot of people don't know that that exists. And it's also like nobody else does that. You know? Yeah. No. But I, I think my biggest thing is don't spam people. If someone doesn't respond, you know, you can follow up one time, but wait a week, right? Give them a chance to respond. Don't just follow up day after day. Um, if you start spamming people, they're less likely to be interested in helping you. Yeah, I get I get a lot of requests, a lot of random they, as as LinkedIn's become more popular and especially in web three as it's become more a more popular um content platform, even even mm -hmm. as much as a job seeking platform, the amount, same as you, of spammy uh inbound requests that have been getting yeah. have just absolutely skyrocketed. I was actually talking to someone earlier and I just said, What list am I on that I keep getting the same request but from yeah. You know, 12 of you in the past two days. And he said, yeah. oh, he said, Oh, I'm sorry to bother you. I think the best way to solve this problem is actually to sign up for our advisor list, tailor your settings to what you want. Then you might not keep getting contact. And I thought that's, that's interesting logic. Like the way to yeah. get out of being spammed is to sign up. Sign uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> sign up and we'll stop spamming you. Sure. Sure. That sounds great. Give me my email and then you're going to sell it to 20 other companies. Um, yeah, I think the spam is, has gotten out of hand. And honestly, you know, I love LinkedIn. They may hate me for saying this, but they need to limit your um, automated LinkedIn messages. Like you can send up to 25 um, in-mails at a time, just regular, you know, just a standard template. And I think that needs to be limited. So people are more selective about who they reach out to. I know candidates. I mean, I'm even exhausted from it. We're exhausted from hearing about opportunities that make no sense to our background. Um, you know, I get requests all the day. Hey, would you be interested in this junior recruiter? Would you be interested in this X, Y, and Z? And I always ask, does this have anything to do with crypto? Right. And they always say no. And it's like, okay, well, glad yeah. we cleared that up. Right. So, you know, but for a senior engineer hearing about junior dev roles, I mean, it's annoying. Right. So I think LinkedIn has some work to do when it comes to the um, everyone's experience, because it really is just becoming spam. And what's interesting is people are leaving LinkedIn. And I don't know why LinkedIn doesn't see this. They're leaving LinkedIn and going to Twitter. Which like there's still yeah. spam on Twitter, but like the LinkedIn salespeople are just, you know. They're causing a problem. Take note, LinkedIn, because I'm experiencing the same thing. And the unfortunate reality is that I've experienced this with different platforms over time. This is why I'm mm -hmm. careful not to fall in love with a platform because back around 2012, I absolutely loved Twitter. It was the coolest way to meet 
and interact with people I hadn't met in person before. I had a Harvard professor contributing to my blog, the press secretary at NASA at the time. These are people I just met through Twitter. All of the sudden, there's the spam, the promotions, and uh, what I actually found to be pretty irritating as well was even legitimate accounts just yeah. getting into this mindset of, oh, you have to be active on Twitter. Like people who don't actually like using social media ruin social media. People who don't actually like social media but feel the need to use it are the ones who end up ruining it because everyone started doing using those automated scheduling platforms. And yeah. so there's like not you you you're just basically interacting with real accounts that are essentially ghost accounts for that reason. So I left Twitter at that time. Then Instagram, I feel like Instagram's really gone downhill. And now LinkedIn, right as it was hitting its stride, I feel like has gone downhill as well. I'm still not fully back on Twitter, but I, I lurk. Like I have an account just to see what's going on, but I don't really participate much because it's very difficult to figure out what their roadmap looks like moving yeah, forward. Yeah, totally agree. Totally. It's very hard to recruit people off Twitter. Very hard to recruit people off Twitter. So, but um, yeah, I think the spam is like totally out of hand. We should start a petition to get LinkedIn to stop sp mass emailing people because it's just it's yeah. not helping anybody. I think so. Another thing that I've I've seen on LinkedIn um, now, you create great content, and for anyone listening, definitely follow Emily Landon, the crypto recruiter, on LinkedIn. And um, you know, before this this uh, conversation, obviously checked out your profile again. Just make sure I got my uh, you know, ducks in a row before we talk, but I've seen your content is still doing amazingly well. I mean, hundreds of people like everything that Emily puts out, but I've, I've seen actually recently a lot of people who I saw before were getting, it sounds so silly to talk about, but it is important who were getting 1500, 3000, maybe in that range, 1500 to 3000 likes per everything they put mm -hmm. out. And in the past month or so, I'd say, they're dropping to like dropping. 200, 300. Mm -hmm. um, have you noticed that? Have you seen that yes. algorithm change? I actually experienced that myself. Um, so I think what's happening is, I mean, I don't really want to make any assumptions, um, but I, I do think that LinkedIn is kind of stifling crypto stuff because of what's going on in the market, Right. So I do think that they're taking those hashtags and not prioritizing them. I also think that they're, they're blacklisting those that use the same keyword too many times. So in a post, which like I'm at fault for this, but like in a post, in a resume, um, in a blog post as well, like you only want to use the same keyword five times. So if that keyword is crypto, you only want to use that five times. Um, otherwise, the algorithm picks that up and it feels like it's spammy, like you're trying to sprinkle in too many keywords. So, yeah, you know, and I've talked to a lot of influence in this, influencers in the space that are experiencing the same thing. Um, I, I think my success has come from being genuine, keeping it spicy, keeping it light, um, you know, and I'm, I'm just genuinely a very happy person. And I think that comes through. And I also think, you know, it's, it's my job. It's my nature to help people. Um, so yeah, I just, I think, you know, when people are like genuine, things go really well, but I think, you know, there's definitely some cash grabs out there. There's definitely people that have no idea what they're talking about. They're positioning themselves as expert. And I think people are seeing through the BS. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I was just thinking that when we talk about crypto Twitter, 
crypto LinkedIn. It just doesn't roll off the tongue like crypto Twitter does for whatever reason. Yeah. But I've seen the same thing. I think you're right that they're they're stifling some of the the crypto web three stuff, which I hope does not continue to be the case. That said, I do think LinkedIn would be doing humanity a favor if they uh, kind of came down a little bit on this, this same style that everyone uses. I like a little bit of originality. Like you said, you're very original in yours, but if you look at a lot of these very popular LinkedIn posts, they're just one liners after one liners. There's like a very, there's a very specific format that people use. And if you were in any sort of good writing course, uh, you would get a failing grade for being like very, it's just very unoriginal and kind of, kind of spammy. It's like, it's lazy writing, right? It's all just, yeah. it's all just very, um, everything's just very direct. Like yeah. this declarative statement followed by this declarative statement followed by this declarative statement. And you just hope that, uh, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of like kind of internal cannibalizing that I've seen as well. Like people who are, you know, say thought leaders in the NFT space or something, just kind of clowning people who are like trying to get into it or saying, oh, these people aren't legitimate. But anyway, could go on and on and on. Uh, that's enough about LinkedIn. Are you seeing anything on uh, on TikTok? Do you do anything on TikTok? I do stuff on TikTok. I don't see a whole ton of it yet, um, but that also could be because, um, you know, I just haven't been on it long enough. So I just recently joined. You can follow me on that and on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, I haven't noticed a whole ton. I do have people in my network that are starting to create more TikTok content, which I think is great. But I still think we've got a long way to go for Web3 TikTok. And what about, uh, I'm going to show my, my ignorance and perhaps age here. There's a new one called Be Real. Have you heard about that? Uh, I might be showing my age too, so no. Okay, the the way that I understand be real is that it's an alternative to these other, you know, quote unquote, addicting social media platforms, and you can only post once a day. Apparently, it's very popular with, uh, you know, the upcoming uh, generation. So you just post once a day, and I, I, from what I've seen as well, so you get like a, a timer. So it says your time to post is in five minutes or two minutes and you have to Interesting. You know, kind of react to that. So totally different type of platform. We don't have to stick on that topic. It, it just, if you were familiar with it, I was going to see if there's any way to use recruiting for that, because sometimes, sometimes too, it's like trying to fit a, uh, uh, what, what's the expression square something in a, Square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and so it's like maybe that's not right for for that type of recruiting or that type of promotion. But I was just curious. Um, all right, so kind of getting towards the end of this conversation, what are uh, when when companies are saying no to applicants that you're putting through? What are the biggest red flags that they're looking for, or what are the biggest red flags that they're bringing up that maybe people listening to this can navigate around? Yeah. So one of the biggest concerns is jumpiness on a resume. So going from company to company, project to project, it can be a red flag to a company. Um, a lot of companies that are looking for full-time hires, they're looking for someone that's going to dedicate themselves to the company, right? And see their project through, um, be a part of it for the long, long run, which is why they're offering equity and token packages. Um, so I think jumpiness on a resume is definitely a concern. Um, what about let let me ask another question then. What about for job seekers? 
Are mm-hmm. you seeing pushback from job seekers when companies are offering token compensation as opposed to traditional equity at this stage? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's kind of the trend right now is lower base salaries, higher token packages, and candidates are not happy about it. Not happy at all. Right. Cash is important. Right. So tokens are great, but like you can't do anything with that for a hot second. So, you know, there, there are definitely candidates need to pay attention to red flags. I mean, because when you're making a move, it's got to be the right move, not just any move. Because again, you don't want jumpiness on your resume. And I'm sure you want to accomplish something and then see it through. Um, so make sure you're really paying attention to the interview process. Is it organized? Is it disorganized? Are people on time? Are they consistently late? Right? I think the interview process gives you some insight into the organization of the company, into the company culture. Right? So one of my One of my biggest things is if you send a thank you note and you send more than one thank you note, you send a LinkedIn connection request, you send an in-mail, right? Thanking them for their time and they don't respond. My thought is imagine working at a company where you don't have time to respond to a thank you note, right? right? Do you, if, if they can't respond to your thank you note, like, do you still want to work there. You know what I mean? So that's one of the assumptions. And I think people get really offended and they get really hurt and bummed out when they don't hear back. But I just think it shows, you know, that you dodged a bullet there. Um, because you know, you want to work at a company that really cares about its employees. Um, and when you take care of your people, they take care of your customers, right? So my concern is that if someone doesn't send a thank you note, is the company taking care of them to give them that extra push to take care of the customer or the candidate. So that's my concern there. Are most of the people who you're placing in jobs at crypto companies already in the crypto space or at a crypto company, say, or are there most of them coming from outside of the industry? Most of our candidates are coming from the crypto space because we are the crypto recruiters, and that's what our clients are expecting. However, there are a ton of people with transferable skills that are getting into the crypto space on their own, right? They're applying to jobs, they're networking. Um, So I would say there's a healthy mix. It's just companies tend to prefer candidates. I mean, generally, they tend to prefer candidates with crypto experience, but especially when working with us, Um, which is why, you know, I'm always happy to have conversations with people that are focused in Web2, because, you know, I can give them tips and tricks. I may not be able to help them immediately, but I can introduce them to people. I can teach them how to reformat their LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help where I can. And last two questions for you packaged into one. During the interview process for most of the candidates that you're placing, are they in-person interviews ever? Or is it almost all over video chats at this point and online tests, say if they're a developer. And second part of that question is once they land the job, just give us a ballpark estimate of what percentage of these job uh, opportunities are remote or at least a remote option. Yeah. So um, let me answer the second part first. I would say about 95% of opportunities are remote. 5% of them are hybrid or in-person. It's interesting because there are some people that are itching to go back into the office. They miss that human interaction. So I do like that companies are setting up these satellite offices so that way people have a place to go. Um, But most candidates are looking for remote work. What was the first part of your question? 
Uh, we're doing the interview process itself. Are are people? It's are there ever really oh, meeting in, in remote yeah. anymore? Or interviews are all remote, basically. Yeah, so all interviews are pretty much remote, um, unless it's a hybrid role. Then you're coming in. But I am noticing um, team gatherings, team get-togethers, right? So everybody can meet each other face to face. So one of our clients, they have four company retreats. They're week-long company retreats where the whole company, it doesn't matter where they are in the world, the whole company gets together, um, like last quarter, they just all went to Mexico, right? Mini vacation in Mexico. So I really like those types of companies that are prioritizing getting their people together, because I think that helps define culture, um, encourages teamwork. So I do think there is importance in a in-person, um, in-person meeting. I personally don't want to go back into an office like ever. Um, but that's just me. Okay. Uh, last thing, just any advice to someone in the industry or outside the industry looking to break into crypto or change their current role? Do your own research and pay attention to the red flags. Dig into leadership and what their style is like. So, you know, being remote, it is hard to define a culture. So it's pretty much, you know, leadership it's leadership style that designs the culture. So one of my favorite questions to ask leaders is what is something someone might misunderstand about you? And this is going to give you some insight into really what it's like to work side by side with them. Um, take what they said, digest it, and really make sure it's something you can work with, right? So some of the answers that I'll get are like, well, I'm super busy, so I can come off as overly direct and people can take that as rude. So you got to sit there for a second. Okay. Um, if it seems like my boss is being rude to me every day, is that something I can deal with? And my biggest concern is you quit a boss, not a job. So I think digging into leadership is a, is something people really need to do and they just need to keep trying. I mean, don't give up, keep your chin up there. There is a home for everybody. It's just a matter of finding it. And the last thing is network all day, network, network, network. The reason that this is important is 35% of jobs are not posted. They're just open within the company, right? People are reaching out to their network. Hey, I'm hiring this. Hey, I'm hiring this. And some companies don't even know where to start when it comes to their uh, hiring an employee, right? They don't know that they can post on AngelList. They don't know that LinkedIn's a great tool. They're just kind of like, ah, what do I do? Who do you know? Um, so I think it's really important to network and, you know, be have access to those opportunities that aren't posted. Well, this has been fun. I think it'll be incredibly helpful to anyone looking to get a job in Crypto Web 3. Everybody, I highly recommend going and following the crypto recruiter, Emily Landon, on LinkedIn, as well as the crypto recruiter's uh, company page. Anywhere else, Emily, that they can follow you? They can find me on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and you know, hopefully be real once we look into that. But, you know, I don't get to post all my content on LinkedIn. So if you're looking for a good laugh, those are some great places to follow me. Sounds good. Well, thank you for joining us on the Atria podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe.